A reading from 2 Timothy, the first chapter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed, then, of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Thanks be in the reading from Timothy, Paul writes, I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. And then he says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Hand-me-downs. The boxes would come to the house covered in brown paper and tied up with string and sealed with tape. Boxes half as tall as I was and so broad I couldn't get my arms around them. And I would stand there in excitement waiting for my mother to cut these packages open. And then she would lift the contents out one item at a time, kind of carefully unfolding each one before holding it up for me to view it. Shirts and shorts, jumpers and skirts for me, and little bitty tiny jackets and pants and shirts for my little brother. Hand-me-downs from some never-met cousins linked to me distantly on some outlying branch of the family tree. Some of the clothes I would see I loved. Some of them I loathed. I had to try them all on regardless of how I felt about them. Some fit, but in others, there was room to grow. It was a process for me, taking these hand-me-downs that I had been given and making them my own and somehow making them work with the things that were already in my wardrobe. I was convinced that all other kids got to go to Sears Roebuck and pick out whole matching outfits that suited them perfectly, but not us. We did not choose. We accepted what was still perfectly good and passed down. I also have a hand-me-down faith. My mother sang hymns that got into my soul before I could talk. 
And she told Bible stories and she prayed with me at bedtime. And I watched her go to church and do things like sing in the choir and pitch in as a volunteer. And she read her Bible and I watched her struggle with the pains of life and do her best to live out the faith and the love and the compassion that she saw in Jesus Christ. And in all of these ways, she was handing her faith down to me and saying, this is who we are. My grandparents handed down their faith too in their own ways. And so have all the people in all the congregations that I've ever belonged to, people who have loved me and nurtured me along the way. Some of their ideas fit me perfectly. Some of them didn't suit me at all. But in the process of living and wrestling with the things handed down, my own faith was established and formed. I think we all have a hand-me-down faith. It's solid, it's tried and true. I thank God that we are not making it up as we go along. It has been passed down to us by people of faith who have come before us. Paul, knowing that he is about to die, is reminding Timothy of this. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. Timothy's mother and grandmother are Jewish. Timothy's father is a Gentile. He lives in a, a mixed religion family. His mother and his mother's mother are women of faith, a faith handed down to them through the generations, the faith of Abraham and Sarah, of Moses, of David and Bathsheba, Naomi and Ruth, and Elijah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Job and Mary and Joseph. A faith and a grace given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. When Paul made his first missionary journey, he came to uh, Lystra where Timothy and his family lived and he would have passed down to them the gospel, the good news that Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, who had died and was raised from the dead as the Son of God, the Messiah, who came into the world so that we might have life. It's a witness that was handed down to Paul by the apostles and by all the disciples who had followed Jesus, a testimony that Paul had at first fought against until he had his own encounter with the risen Christ. And then Paul would have baptized Timothy and his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois and maybe even his father so that they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the elders would have laid their hands on them and blessed them. By the time Paul comes back into town on his second missionary journey, Timothy has grown into his hand-me-down faith. In Paul's words, he is a disciple of the highest commitment and the highest compassion. Paul is so impressed with Timothy that he, he claims him as his own child in faith, as his protege, and invites Timothy to partner with him in his missionary work. Timothy is going to be listed as a co-author with Paul in six of Paul's letters that he will send out to the churches that he has established around the Roman Empire. And on many occasions, Timothy is going to act as Paul's emissary and visit communities when Paul cannot be there himself. Paul says, I sent you, Timothy, 
who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of the ways in Christ Jesus as I teach them everywhere in every church. But now Timothy's wavering at the time of this letter. He has experienced the shame of having been imprisoned at least once for his own faith. And now Paul, his mentor and father in the faith, is imprisoned in Rome and, and Paul is about to be executed. It would make any of us pause. I mean, at what point do we throw in the towel? At what point is the cost too high? How long will we continue to be the church when being the church is so hard? When do our fears override our calling? And what keeps us from living boldly for Christ? Timothy's losing heart. <laughs> there are things weighing on our hearts. We may be worrying about our adult children, some of whom are really struggling to find their way in life. We may be feeling anguished and discouraged about them or other people in our lives, or maybe we're feeling locked up, yet too afraid to venture out. Maybe we're resentful of those people out there who don't seem to be following the same rules. We may be fearful about finances or the need for work. Or maybe we're worrying that we have failed in life in some way. I talked to some other pastors this week. We've had our Zoom meetings and um, there's worry among us and maybe even a tinge of fear that people stuck with nothing but Zoom worship will eventually get discouraged and fall away. That will fall out of the habit of being church together. How long, we ask ourselves as pastors, before the offerings stop coming in and the bills can't be paid? So we're scrambling. We're trying to figure it out as we go along. We're trying to figure out how to do the things that we are called to do when we can't do it the way it's always been done. And then we remind one another that, of course, it hasn't always been done this way. I mean, in Timothy's day, people met in houses, in house churches, because they could not gather in the synagogues or in the public places anymore. Paul sends a letter of encouragement to Timothy and to all of us who might be discouraged believers. God, Paul says, has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of courage, and resolution to meet difficulties and dangers. We can face adversity, Paul says, with gentleness and patience because God has poured into our hearts the spirit of love. And it will carry us through every opposition Suffering is nothing new. Jesus, he said, even died on a cross, and we're going to bear our crosses too. We are not called to success. We are called to faithfulness. This is our holy task. Therefore, Paul says, resist shame. Join me in suffering. Rely on the power of God. Rekindle the gift of God that is within you. Take the bellows and blow on the embers until your faith is a continually burning flame. 
Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through prophecy when the, when the body of elders laid their hands upon you. A faith and a spirit that were handed down to you by the apostles and by all the faithful people who have told the story of Jesus and the story of the church and the story of the God who has created us. A, hand, a, faith, a faith handed on through the centuries over thousands of years by people like you, Paul says, who carried the spirit of courage and compassion in their hearts, who kept that fire kindled and then passed the torch. And now it's your turn, Paul says. So open the box, unfurl the gifts of God, all perfectly good hand-me-downs. Some of them will fit perfectly, others you'll grow into. Remember who you are and where you came from. Continue in what you have learned and what you have been convinced of and how, because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Never forget the gift of God that has been given to you, a gift of grace, of life, of immortality. God has saved us, not because we are worthy, but according to God's own gracious purpose. God has abolished death for us. God calls us to a holy life, a life filled with courage and love. With such an amazing gift, how can we fear? This is the testimony of Christ from the beginning of time, a truth revealed by Jesus' life and death and resurrection, a gift entrusted to us as precious treasure, which we in turn get to embody and pass on to others, a faith handed down. Amen.